Music has meant so much during this season. The song we just heard, uh, just an amazing song uh, that we got to sing last week, and that's just been in my mind and in my heart uh, all week long. And the, one of the songs that's come out of the past year is, is the song, The Blessing. We've, we've sang that here at church, and I'm sure you've had it playing uh, more than once in, in your car. Uh, it's, been, it's been a year of, obviously, challenges for the entire world, but also some personal challenges that have been... Uh, monumental in the lives of some people. So you have the Rogers family with us today, and, and Garrett and Jenny are, are bringing their daughter, Thea, to be uh, dedicated to Jesus. And let me tell you the part of the story that's so significant. It was literally a year ago today, actually yesterday, that Jenny started not feeling right. Something was wrong. Something just didn't, didn't feel right within her. And by today, a year ago, she couldn't breathe. She's having difficulty breathing, but uh, she played the part of a good man, which you're not supposed to do that, right? Men refuse to go to the hospital. They refuse to get treatment. They say, I got it. It's fine. So here's this poor woman unable to breathe, and she's saying, no, I'll be okay. And somebody wise said, no, we're going. And so they ended up at the hospital only to find out that, that she had a blood clot in her lung. And, um, and she already knew that, that this little girl was forming in her womb. And she was in that spot of, uh, there are treatments that I need in order to survive, and it might impact the baby, and what do I do? And you think back to February 28th of last year, we're right at the beginning of figuring out what this COVID thing is and how this is going to work and, and what all is going to take place. And so it's been a year of challenges. It's been a year of real challenges. And, and as I thought about Thea in this year, I had a verse that is actually based on, on that song, uh, in the book of Numbers, the Lord gives Moses a blessing that he's supposed to give the people. And he says that he's to say over them, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And, um, you know, this is actually part of the prayer that we pray every time we do a dedication. But I think it has incredibly special meaning for Thea today. Because this little girl's first several months of life have been spent only seeing this much of most people's face. And how much do we learn about what a person is saying to us by seeing the whole face? It's kind of fun when I'm at Jewel, I'm able to say things with this part of my face about people that are dumb that, that I'm getting away with, right? <laughs> or I'll see a little kid at Jewel, and I'll smile as big a smile as I can, and I realize all they're seeing are my dead eyes. And so I couldn't help but look at this verse and think that I hope your life will be marked by knowing that the Lord's face shines on you, Thea. And that you'll know that his face turns toward you all the time, the full face. He doesn't cover any part of his face when he speaks to you. He loves you. He loves you like your mommy and daddy love you, like your brothers and sister love you. He loves you so much. And he wants you to see his whole face all your life. So look to him. Look to him all the time because he's looking back at you. And he loves you. Come here, baby. Yeah, it's okay. I, 
I've got this great picture from years ago of a baby dedication that afterward there was a big old splooch of white on my shoulder for the rest of church. It worked out quite well. Thea, it is our prayer that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face shine on you and that he'll give you peace. And we know that peace will only come when you trust in Jesus as the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life. And we pray that that'll happen for you earlier in your life, that you'll realize you can't do life on your own, but that you need God, you need to look up to him, you need his guidance and his help. I thank you that God has given you a wonderful mommy and daddy, just people that love God and love other people and are going to show you what the face of God looks like. And he's given you an awesome sister and two great brothers. And, and we, we're grateful for the way that they're going to show you who Jesus is too. And so I pray that as you search eyes in this world and you don't see a whole face, you'll know that there's a God in heaven who never covers his face. He never covers his face. He always looks on you with love. He loves you wholly and completely, and he wants you to love him as well. We pray for you in the name of Jesus. We leave the name of Jesus on you today. Amen. You did beautifully. So beautifully. Thank you so much. You enjoy your day and your life. It's going to be a good one, I promise. <laughs> Here you go, Dad. Thanks so much. That was great. See you guys. <clears throat> Oh, my. Woo! You gonna hold me? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> warning, warning. <laughs> I did once. I, I, you know, I always, I always laugh. The biggest transition is looking at your feet now and thinking, I used to kiss those. <laughs> yuck, yuck, yuck. They used to be the sweetest little feet, the sweetest little feet. Oh, my goodness. So, Wow, good to see you today. Glad you're here. Uh, just another great day of being able to gather together to love God and love other people. And, you know, you may be wondering, if some of you have been holding off on a, on a dedication for a while. You've been wanting to do that. You want to do your baby de family dedication. We are, we are open for business. Mm -hmm. So we, we want to be able to have that opportunity to celebrate, celebrate together with your family. Thank you again for your consistent giving black box at the back there, and online texting, mail, all those different ways uh, that you can just continue to be faithful with that. Your, uh, your weekend update arrived yesterday, and there were a few things, few things there that were really important. That first one, you know, just want to remind you again, and it's on the app as well, that you can listen to the scripture passage as well as the playlist ahead of time. Mm -hmm. But Shelly noted, she's like, oh, there's a song in there that we're not doing today. Yeah, we're, we're, we're trying to make sure not only that you have maybe the songs that we're doing that day, but that you're able to do a little choir rehearsal too. <laughs> so if we've got a song that's coming up, uh, we'll, we'll include that too so that you have a chance to be, to be catching those songs too. So yeah. out of that list, there's one we're not doing today, and I think actually we included one from last week too. So just wanted to give you a nice rounded out list of songs. But uh, tell us what else is going on. Yeah, the next thing on that list is for day camp actors, and we are looking for, uh, for anybody who would be willing to teach our elementary school kids, uh, again, that's K through 5, to teach them about Jesus through their gift of acting. And you may not know that you have the gift of acting. I promise you there have been people throughout the years that are like, I can't do that. Memorizing lines, doing things like that, nope, not my alley. And then at the end of the week, they're like, I want to do this every year. So give it a shot. Not every role 
is every day, from what I understand. And for example, like in years past, we've had um, a lot of video. So video it, face, yep. Yeah, video yep. face. So where you're, you know, you're doing your work before the week of camp. Um, and I'm not sure of every single role that's involved mm -hmm. there, um, but just know that it may not be that you have to be there all day, every day. Um, in order to be one of those actors. And it's just a really, really cool way to spread the, the, the message of Jesus to, Absolutely. Our, to our kids. So, Absolutely. So take advantage of that. And then down there at the bottom, we have our early bird registration ending for Green Lake. And I was getting flooded with, a, with messages yesterday. Um, Green Lake registration is not ending today. Right. You can continue to, to Just the sign best up. price you're ever going to get. Best price you're ever going right. to get. Yeah, it jumps $25 uh, starting tomorrow. Part of the reason that we're doing that is not just to encourage people to get signed up, but also we want to have a firm number. It, it was a tricky year, and we didn't know what registration would look like. We didn't know, you know how much are we going to need to buy and all that. So we need to do a lot of that way ahead of time. Uh, so if you know for a fact that you are going to Green Lake, you can save yourself $25 by signing up today. Mm -hmm. um, tomorrow, once we open everything up, the partial payment... Um, Factor will go into play. I know I've had some people ask me about that as well. So if you need to split up payments, you can do that starting tomorrow. And yeah, I'm, I'm super pumped uh, for Green Lake. Now, at Green Lake, we do a lot of messy stuff. And last year, about this time, I was hyping up for one of my favorite events of the year, March Mad Mess. March <laughs> Mad Mess is an event that we do just here with our kids, Revive and Refuge, at the time of the basketball tournament. And I cannot tell you, like, I, I came crashing down hard when I lost basketball tournament, when the Lion Air doing really well. And then, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, well, now I literally can't do this March Madness event with our kids because, well, we've been told to, to hide in our house. So, yeah. um, so we're bringing it back. We're bringing it back. The week before spring break, March 21st, and the 24th. That's and the cool thing is you've held on to everything from last year. So everything so it's grown blue things and such. And it's wonderful. Yeah, spoiled, Excellent. rotten, Excellent. gross. It's going to be extra messy. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Now I have replaced some of the items. There will be no mold that I hope, uh, or that I know of. Uh, but yeah, so we're doing that the week before spring break. It's going to be a lot of fun. That is something that we are, we're going back to, back to some outreach. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Because I know it's, it's been kind of a tricky time. Do you invite? Do you publish? events and and yeah we're doing it so mm -hmm. uh we want to we want to show kids that uh, that it's okay to be out and to be doing things and we want that opportunity to um to to have maybe an invite to green lake come out of that so um so that's happening the week before spring break something's happening next week that's going to be pretty phenomenal you know what it is what yeah you do i mean baseball starts today no not so that not this is week. this is better than that we're going to start doing coffee again next week. That's the best. So, yeah. So coffee will be back. And, yeah. um, and the thing about coffee that you need to know is we've got, we've got great people that are getting it started. Barrett family is going to be getting coffee going. But, but on the other side, the cleanup, we need some people that would consider being part of cleaning that up. So basically, anytime after 1045, cleanup can take place. So if you come to the first service, you could stick around long enough to clean up, clean up after that come to the second, you could clean up after the service. But um, we know, just like with communion, we're, we're kind of, we're, we're trying to figure out what it looks like. A lot of you have gotten used to bringing your Duncan with you or, or whatever it is that you've, you've, you've brought with you from wherever. So um, we're, we're trying to figure out the logistics of it. But I've been grateful, too, for Jennifer Sergis 
just getting communion back in order for us, uh, it's, it's complicated, you know, not only doing the two cups. I mean, it's one thing to fill everything once. It's another thing to have to fill it a second time, but then to figure out how do we, how do we stage this all out in a way that there's not a lot of waste and all those sorts of things. So it's just been wonderful and flexible with that. And one of the things we've done now as you're walking in, you see that all the trays at the back have lids on them. So if you're one of the first people to communion, you'll need to move the lid to the side in order to go ahead and get on in that. But we want to make sure that that stays, stays in good condition while everybody's walking in in the morning. So a couple of things that are just helping us to, to return to uh, a great state as a church family. We're excited about that. Yeah. So again, you know, get that app out. You can listen to the songs. You can read the scripture check out all those things. Weekend update is right there. On the scripture, we, we got that out yesterday. We're looking at Psalm 123, which is the next of our Psalms of Ascents. And I, you know, again, thank you for correcting me last week. All week long, when I say ascent, I can hear Brian say ascents. And I'm like, yeah, I got to get this right. I've memorized it this way for 50 some odd years, and I've got to get this right. So, um, so we're at Psalm 123. I'm going to have you read the first pass, the, the passage through in the ESV, and then, and then in the message, and then we're going to talk a little bit about, about your thoughts on the passage. So go ahead and give us the passage. <clears throat> to you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the, the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hands of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. A lengthy four-verse psalm, just four verses. Now, I want you to read it in the message, and I, I think while there are so many passages in the message that I do find meaningful, I think, I think Peterson did a beautiful job translating this particular passage. I look to you, heaven-dwelling God, Look up to you for help. Like servants alert to their master's commands, like a maiden attending her lady. We're watching and waiting, holding our breath, awaiting your word of mercy. Mercy, God, mercy. We've been kicked around long enough, kicked in the teeth by complacent rich men, kicked when we're down by arrogant brutes. So when I sent out the passage yesterday, I sent it with, with a, a question for, for you to think through. And that was, um, if you were the one preaching or teaching this passage today, where would you take it? What would you do with it? I actually asked that question of my group on Thursday, and I told them I wasn't asking because up until then I hadn't figured out what I was going <laughs> to do. Some I needed some help. Yeah. <laughs> I just I, I wanted to know what what they or what you would do with this passage, and so you had time to think about it. If you were the one teaching this today, what would you what would you stress? What would you focus on? What do you think this is saying? Well, even though it's only four verses long, I think you could spend four weeks here. Mm -hmm. For one, There's the transition a lot here. from 122 to 123, we're looking up the hills, and now we're looking directly up to the throne. You could start there and then lead into, you know, one, two, three, four. Mm -hmm. If I was teaching it this week, uh, I, I was hit hard by, by three and four, mm. by verses three and four. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, um, for we've had enough of those, or we've had more than enough of contempt. This, this idea that there are people living in the world that, are, that think they're A-OK. -okay. 
Yeah. That they think, you know, they've got it all figured out and things seem to be going well for them, whether it's, you know, what they're portraying on Instagram or what's in their bank account or how their stock portfolio is doing. A lot of people seem to be doing okay when, when we seem to be getting kicked when we're down. Mm -hmm. And so, again, if we're speaking contemporarily to the times, that's, that's kind of where I'd, where I'd sit. He's, he's, I mean, in Hebrew, he's saying, I've had it up to here. Yeah. I've had it up to here. I'm sick of it. And in, in many ways, when you're looking at that, in, in our times, it would be, you know, the oligarchy versus the little guy. Yeah. It's the people that are, that are just doing great, lives of ease on the back of everybody else that's, that's working just to barely get ahead. So yeah. you've got that, that tension going on there that he can see. There's that political side that, for me, you know, over the, the last year, we've seen a whole bunch of hypocritical politicians on both sides doing what they want to do on our back. So I, again, I, I think of Zacchaeus because it's where mine's been. Mm. Um, Zacchaeus, you know, pre-Jesus, mm. pre, pre that encounter with Jesus. So Awesome. Thank that. you so much. Well, so I asked you to do that for a reason. I asked you to look at the passage and, and figure out how you'd teach it because it may seem, sound like a weird way to say it, but I want you to learn how to cut your own meat. I want you to be able to look at the Bible and not go, not read it on Saturday and say, that's neat. I wonder what Dennis will tell us about that. God actually talks to you. And, and you can look at a passage and you can start to discern what's going on there. And so I want you to learn how to cut your own meat. I got to admit, I've not always been great at letting people cut their own meat. In our family, three children, the third of three was born left-handed. And uh, the poor kid, I mean, he will be the first to tell you it's a, it's a right-handed world, and the world is against him. It's just very, very difficult to be a left-handed person in a right-handed world. And when you have two right-handed parents teaching you the right way to do it, and he's saying that's not the right way to do it, it, it gets to be quite a struggle. So there was nothing more difficult than, than me sitting at a meal and watching Nate try to cut meat. It was miserable. I mean, it was just, it was, it was, it was dreadful. He'd, he'd start to try to cut, and ultimately he's like stabbing it like an axe murderer or something. I'm like, stop, stop, stop. And so I'd take his plate, and I'd cut it up for him. And, and before you know it, we got in the habit that I'd just cut it up at the counter and, and give him his plate, and here you go. And I won't tell you when that stopped, but recently Nate moved out, and he had to learn how to cut his own meat. And so here he is, you know, he's got to either pick up the pork chop and eat it that way or learn how to use this little old tool. So he and I have been doing a lot of uh, FaceTime cooking together, uh, trying to, either recipes that we have as a family that he wants to learn how to do. So we have the same crock pot, we're throwing in the same things at the same time. One day he wants to do uh, this chicken recipe that we do that has olive, green olives in it and tomatoes, and it's, it's just awesome, it's great stuff. And so here he is with this whole chicken. And he's got to butcher the chicken. And I'm just like, this is going to be fun, right? So he gets out the knife and he starts hacking away at this chicken. And, and if FaceTime had a feature that Dennis's hand could come through and reach and cut the chicken for him, I would have. I'm just, I'm going crazy watching him mutilate this chicken. And then, <clears throat> and then as he's working with it and I'm watching him, I go, oh my word. I can't believe he's doing that. You see... When you cut meat, which hand do you put the knife in? Right, right, right. <laughs> right. You, you put the knife in your dominant hand, and then you put the knife down and you pick up your fork. This kid was trying to cut meat with his right hand all of his life. 
So here he's trying to cut with his non-dominant hand. And I just said, Nate, try something. Take that big old butcher knife and put it in your left hand and try cutting the chicken. And I'm, I'm telling you what, he did it Food Network style. It was amazing. All of a sudden, he's just cutting this. And I'm like, how did we miss that? You need, you need to learn how to cut your own meat. Don't, don't wait for the pastor to, to hand the dish to you. God actually has something to say to you in passages along the way. So you know where we've been so far. You know the themes that have been being developed in terms of, you know, looking around at the world and it's a total mess and your, your heart is at discord with it. It should be at discord with it. That's normal. If you, if you felt good in the world, something's wrong. We know that we've got to rely on God, that that's a piece of what's going on there. We know that, that we're not to look to the hilltops around us where the false gods are and choose to find our help there, but we choose to help our, find our help beyond, beyond those hilltops to the Lord. And so it's not a total surprise that, that the psalmist would start with the same theme and say, I'm lifting up my eyes again. But I'm not lifting up my eyes to the hills. I'm lifting them up to the God who is enthroned in heaven. That's where my focus needs to be. So let's talk a little bit about cutting up this piece of meat. Give you a couple tools you could use if you were trying to, to butcher this thing yourself. So you look at the passage, and the first thing I'd like you to do is just focus on the structure. Look at the structure of the passage. Look at the way it's laid out. We look at a passage, and we tend to, because of the way our Bibles are written, we tend to think of a verse as a singular unit of thought. Or we'll think of a sentence as a singular unit of thought. The way the Bible is written, you need to pay attention to the paragraph. The paragraph is the single unit of thought. And so as you look at this particular psalm, this really lengthy psalm, all of four verses, you see that it's broken down into two paragraphs. Or in other words, there are two basic units of thought going on in this passage. You look at the first paragraph, and, and you see a lot about the eyes of the servant and the eyes, our eyes, being lifted up to the heavens, looking to the heavens, seeing what's going on there. And he ends with this idea of he's looking to heaven and he's looking for something in particular. He's looking for mercy. Then when we come to verses 3 and 4, the second unit of thought, you can see that his eyes shift. That now he's not looking up, he's looking around. He's looking around at what's going on around him in the world, and what he sees around him in the world, he does not like. He's headed up to here with what he sees going around around in the world, because all he faces is scorn and ridicule and abuse and contempt all the time. And he knows that the only place he's going to find help, he's not going to find help out here from anybody. You, you, think, you think that, you know, if the right person had been elected or something else is going to change, it's not. The only place you're going to find help is here, looking up. So this is, this is what he's trying to do. He's trying to get us to look at where's our focus. Is our focus all out here or is our focus up here? Where's your focus? Now, there's another thing you can do with this passage that's really helpful. And we've talked about this every week, and that's to look for repeated words. Now, let me just say, not every repeated word is significant you'll see the word and more than once. And is simply conjunction, junction, what's your function? You know, bringing things together, all right? I mean, it, there, there's no major significance with some of those smaller words. But 
in four verses, there's a lot of repeating going on in this passage. So a lot of repeating. So here we're going to we're going to just do our call out game, okay? Which words do you see repeated several times in this passage? Eyes are right there. Boom. You get eyes. What else? Mercy. Mercy is repeated several times. What else? Merry go round. Anything else? Let's do it this way. So what I like to do when I'm breaking down a passage is use color. And there are these great Bible, Bibles out right now. They're, they're single books of each book of the Bible. And on one side is the passage, and on the other side is a blank area that you can do some writing. And so you feel a little bit more freedom to, to scribble on that and to, to write on it and to mark it up. So if you've got a bunch of different colors, you just start searching, and here's what you see. The word eyes is used four times in two verses. There's no way that's not consequential. There's no way that that is not significant. And on top of that, we see the word look two times, and, and really it's implied three times. He just doesn't say it overtly. He says, behold, as the eyes of the servant look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of the maidservant look to the hand of their mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. So seven times in two verses, there's a reference to our focus. There's a reference to our perspective. There's a reference to what we're seeing. Seven times in two verses. Then we come, let me, let me go down to the bottom. We see that word um, contempt or scorn. Those are two different words in Hebrew, but, but they mean the same thing. All right, he's technically three times he's making references to contempt. So we have look, we have eyes, we have scorn and contempt, and then in the middle we have mercy used three times. And what I love about this is mercy is used once at the end of the first paragraph and twice at the beginning of the next paragraph. It's almost like the Velcro between the two passages. You can, you can see how they both, they're both stuck together. There's a common theme between the two. And what he's looking for is mercy. He's looking for mercy because of the situation all around him. And he's looking for the only place he's going to get mercy because it's not just naturally going to come from what is around him. So, so looking at the repeated words, looking at the structure of the passage, you got your knife in your hand. And you know what? You're starting to understand what's going on in this passage without having somebody have to explain it to you. Now still come to church. It's important because there's some other things that we can learn here that are really, really good. The key to this passage is totally found in the eyes. It's all about the eyes. In fact, when you really think about it, everything we've looked at up to now in the Psalm of Ascents has all been about focus and perspective. It's really all been about how do you see the world and are you, seeing, are you seeing the world? Are you seeing your life? Are you seeing your perspective, uh, your, your, everything that's going around you, your circumstances, by looking at what's around you? Or are you seeing everything through the lens of God? Are you seeing everything through the way God sees it and the way God is at work in this world? So our eyes, our eyes are really central to everything that's going on in this passage. Our focus is central to everything going on in this passage. Now I want you to think about your eyes for a moment and all the things that your eyes do. All the different directions your eyes look and the things that you pay attention to. One of the things you'll notice, uh, it's, it's commonly known, that when we think, we tend to look right up over here. Have you noticed that? 
You're talking to somebody and they're not looking at you, they're, they're, they're eyes. Their eyes are looking up into a corner. I, I loved it. We were talking in between, and, and Bob Coyne made, made the comment, and it was, it's, so it's, so, it's so real, that part of the reason we do that is to wipe out all other distractions. We're, you know, we're, we're not paying attention to anything else going on in that moment. Instead, our mind has now gone to our mental file cabinet, and we're starting to flip through trying to find that memory that's embedded somewhere. We're, we're looking, and we're thinking, and we're trying to remember what it was. Our eyes go in all different directions. So, for example, this passage talks about our eyes going upward. For the person who's a Christ follower, we need to have a well-developed upward gaze. We need, we need to have our eyes lifted toward God, literally and figuratively lifted toward God. Don't you love that when Jesus prayed, he looked to the heavens? He, he literally, he raised his eyes physically to God to be reminded that there is a God, that he is in the heavens. He's enthroned in the heavens. He's, 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 he's there waiting to hear from us, waiting for us to listen. An upward glance could even be used figuratively. Sometimes when we talk about being up, we talk about being positive. We talk about, about a, a positive perspective. So we have that, that upward glance that takes place with our eyes. That is opposite of the downward glance. If you're in a foul mood, if you're sad, if you're feeling depressed or broken, you memorize a lot of rocks and pebbles on the ground, right? Your eyes are down here. I mean, you don't, you don't have to be hyper-intuitive to notice that somebody's having a bad day because they haven't looked up all morning long. You're just, you're just watching where their eyes are going, and their eyes are down, down, down. They're downcast. They're downward eyes, and, and you're looking down. Or, or there might even be, as this passage talks about, a servant Sometimes we look down on other people. You know, a servant never looks down. Servant always looks up. Always looks up in respect toward the one giving the orders. But we might have a tendency to look down on other people, to think of them as, as lesser than us, less important than us, less significant than us. So our eyes go up, our eyes go down. Our eyes also go outward. They look around at the world. When I look at these four, my eyes are really outward-focused eyes. I, I, I like to notice everything that's going on around me. I can pretty much shut my eyes, and you know, not psych style where I can count the number of hats in the room, but I, but I shut my eyes and I can see what's there because I, because I pay attention to the little details in life. I love, to, I love to just walk along and see the difference in a tree as it goes from season to season, noticing these little things. So Friday, I'm, I'm driving along on Route 6, and, and off in the distance, I can see something large and black, and as I got closer, I'm realizing it, it might could probably be an eagle, okay? And so I'm driving, and I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I, I glance and look, and I glance and look, and I'm, I'm trying to zero in because I know, I know that if it's an eagle, I'm eventually going to catch a, that white tail or that white head, and so I'm, I'm looking, and I peek back, and I'm looking, and I peek back, and one of my peek backs, I happen to look at the mirror, and there's a state trooper right behind me. I kept looking at the eagle. I was like, so what? Get me pulled over. I don't care. I want to know it's an eagle or not. It was. It was amazing. It was awesome. Our eyes look outward. No, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> he drove on by and I waved. It all worked out really well. But I just, I, I, you're looking out. You're looking out at your world. You're looking at people. You're looking at the things around. And then there's the inward gaze. The inward gaze where we come in and we say, what's going on in here? 
where we pay attention to our heart, where we pay attention to ourself. Communion is a time of an inward gaze, right? It says we're to examine ourselves. We're to examine ourselves. We're to see what's going on inside of our hearts. That downward glance, you know, you think of that psalm that says that, that um, my soul is so downcast. Why is my, my soul downcast? Hope in God. It's interesting that when we look at both that downward glance and that inward glance, that in Scripture, it always draws us back to the upward glance. It all, even when I go to a time of self-examination, it's not about me just looking in me. It's search me, O God, and know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. It's God, you tell me what's going on inside of me. When I'm, when I'm downcast, I'm saying, God, I'm looking to you for encouragement, not just hoping that things get better. I'm looking to you for encouragement. So this whole psalm, this whole psalm starts to teach us that the primary direction of the believer's eyes is up, up, always up, always up. And we interpret everything in life by the upward glance. As you look at that passage again, you see two main ways of looking that he references. The upward look, he's looking to God, his eyes are lifted up to the God enthroned in the heavens like a servant looking to the hand, like the maiden looking, looking to, to make sure that the person gets everything that they need. I'm looking up to you, but the looking up is a look up to for mercy. And why do I need mercy? Because I'm looking out. I'm looking out and I see nothing but contempt, nothing but scorn. I've had it up to here. I can't bear it anymore. But I'm realizing it's not just going to change naturally. It's got to be God who gives me mercy in order for it to change. I don't know if you remember what mercy is. Take grace and mercy. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. I, I'm, given, I'm given salvation. I didn't deserve that. I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. Mercy Mercy is having withheld what I do deserve. I, my sin, I deserve punishment. I deserve death. And God, God withholds from me something I deserve. I'm not saying that this person deserved contempt, but he's saying, God, would, would you remove this? Not because of any merit, not because of anything, not because of who I am or what I've done. I just, I need your mercy. I'm calling on you to change this circumstance. And so the word that really defines this passage is the word upward, upward, that our eyes are always up. They're always up. They're always looking to the heavens. They're always looking to God to understand everything that's going on in life. I'm looking to God constantly. There was a line growing up that I used to hear a lot more often, maybe because I used to listen to other people preaching instead of myself, and I haven't said it in a long time. But anyway, um, there's a line that I'd hear, you're, you're too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. You're so heavenly minded that you're of no good here on earth. I, I don't think that's possible. I think it's possible to be so earthly minded you're of no heavenly good. But I don't think it's possible to be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. In fact, I would say the opposite. The only way you're going to be of earthly good is to be heavenly minded. The only way you're going to be of earthly good is to have your eyes focused on the God of heaven and to understand he is the only resource that will truly ever help me. He is the only one who will truly ever help me to understand what's going on in this crazy world. Now, about Wednesday, I was going in one direction with this passage and I shifted. Originally, I was really going to focus on the, on the servant part of this passage, the serving, servitude. 
that the norm of the Christian life is to serve and to look to our, look to our master God. And, and really, I, I saw that there was something broader going on here, that this was about perspective in all things. But let's use serving, let's use serving as an example of the way the upward glance influences even the way we go about serving. So let's look, at, let's look again at, the, at just that gaze of the servant. The servant looking to the hand of the master, the, maiden, the, maid, the maid servant looking to the hand of the maiden. What does it look like to look to God when I'm involved in serving in the church and in the world? I, I've grown up uh, in, in a generation that has been influenced by what I would call baby boomer theology. I, I, I'm right at the end of the baby boom. Baby boom ends at 1965. I'm 1963. So all the teaching I've received throughout my life, live teaching, has been through people who are part of the baby boom. And uh, baby boom theology has got a lot good going to it, and it's got one major weakness. There's a lot of me go in there. there. There's a lot of me. There, there's a lot of what benefit will I get? How does it work for me? We've watched an entire generation take this whole thing and say, how can God serve me best? How, how, can, how can I live in such a way that everything comes back home and helps me out? And I think part of the responsibility that the next generation is going to have is to undo some of the mego to make sure that, that we're, we're focused in the right direction, have our eyes going in the right place. So as you think about serving, let's say that, that today was one of those days that we were trying to encourage you to get involved in serving around Southfield. If we were doing a serving seminar or just a simple sermon, we might go at this from a, from a baby boomer Mego perspective. Mego perspective looks something like this. You begin inward. You begin inward and say, where do you find satisfaction and fulfillment? When, where, what's that thing you do that makes your heart sing? Maybe that's what God is calling you to do. Now, that's, that's not a bad question. It's just not the final destination. The final destination is not, do I feel satisfied and fulfilled? Anybody that serves anywhere, anything you do in life, there are going to be days that you say, I am sick of this. I'm done. Parents, you a parent? Go ahead, raise your hand, admit it. You, you brought children into this world. Have you had days that were less than rewarding and fulfilling? <laughs> Have you had days that you said, why in the world did I do this? I'm telling you what, I had more than one drive up and back from Manuka High School playing taxi that I questioned my existence. I just wondered, why in the world am I here? Is there not something I could do better with my life than drive my children up and back and up and back and up and back? Made me crazy. In those moments, I didn't say, that's it, I'm done being a dad. It's not rewarding, it's not fulfilling. It's not all about reward and fulfillment. It isn't. It's about whether or not he's satisfied. It's, it's about the upward look that says, God, what is your assignment for me? What is your assignment for me? And in that particular calling, he said, I want you to be a dad of three. And he gave me other elements of my calling that came directly from him. I didn't scan and say, hmm, I think it would be rewarding and fulfilling to have three children. 
That wasn't it. I looked to God and said, God, how do you want my life to unfold? So it's not to say that there won't be times that serving isn't rewarding or fulfilling, but that is a byproduct. It's not the focus. Sometimes we might have a downward focus. We might motivate people by saying, you need to do something that's below you. Someone's got to clean the toilets. And that teaches us humility. Sure it does. But that's not a primary focus. Do you know where I learned humility? By my upward glance. It is hard to look God, look to God and not feel humbled. It is hard to look at the sky that God created and you're going to feel humbled. You look up to the heavens, you look up to God. That's where we learn humility. Because you know what happens when we, when we decide to choose the scummiest job and we say, I'm going to do this? Eventually, that starts going inward. We, we pull out our inward martyr. Poor me, pity me, nobody else will do this, only I'm willing to do, that, do this. No, my humility comes from my upward glance. Even the outward glance, we'll, we'll say to people, it's important to look around at the needs of the world. Find a need and fill it. Look at the needs. Look at the needs. What's the need that you could get involved in? There's no question that we should be looking at the needs of the world. Having said that, that's secondary. That's not primary. The primary is to ask God, God, what needs do you see in this world? I want to be your hands, your feet, your voice in this world. God, what is it that you're seeking for me to do in this world today? And i got to tell you, I can't, I can't give you the number of times that a name has come to my mind in a day, or that a person has come along, and you, and you just have this opportunity that you go, if I had been on my mission, my agenda, my focus, I'd have totally missed it. But instead, I was looking and asking God, not just what do I see that needs to be done, but what do you see that needs to happen in the world today? So even something as simple as serving, something as simple as serving, it's not about do I find fulfillment? It's not about, is it scummy enough to teach me humility? It's not about, is there a need in the world today? It's about, God, I am yours. I look to you for the assignment, and I look to you ultimately for the approval. I look to you for the well done. This past week, early Friday morning, Jim Borden, who's been part of our church for a few years, you may, you may not know him, uh, at this point in his life, he was not as healthy, didn't get a chance to interact the way he would have in earlier days in life. This past week, in the middle of the, in the, middle of the night on Friday morning, he took his last breath here and his first breath in heaven. Here's a guy who, as I got a chance to talk with, with Naomi and with Ruth, here's a guy who spent basically all of his adult life serving as a pastor and a missionary in Africa. He got involved in starting a church when he was 40 and, and, and pastored that church for almost 40 years. Think about that. Starting at 40 and pastoring for almost 40 years. He was pastoring that church until he, until he came back home, came back here. I'm sure throughout his life he had moments that he wondered, why in the world am I doing this? There are moments that he said, this is less than rewarding and fulfilling. I'm sure there are times that he looked out and said, there are a lot of needs, and I don't know how in the world I'm going to fulfill one of them. I'm sure there are times that he looked inwardly and questioned his motives and questioned what was going on in his own heart. But I'll tell you what happened Friday. 
What happened Friday is what's happened a lot in his life because I suspect this is a man who has longed to hear one sentence all of his life. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of my heaven. That's the only approval you ever need. You don't need your supervisor to think you're great. You didn't need someone else to say, wow, that did a great job today. The only approval we care about is the upward approval that we finally get to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of my heaven. When we finally realize that looking up is normal, everything's going to change. But for too many of us as believers, we've had our eyes down, we've had our eyes in, or we've had our eyes out, and we're missing the focus. God wants to be the focus. God wants to be the focus. What is normal? What is normal? Upward. Upward. Always upward. And so God, this morning, I pray that you would shift our eyes. For too many of us, our eyes go in. We look for reward, satisfaction, fulfillment, all those things inside. For, for many of us, our eyes are always out. Wow, all those needs, how am I going to fill them? For, for some of us, our eyes are down. It's just a difficult season or a difficult time. And in all of those places, you're saying, would, would you lift your eyes to the God of heaven? Would you lift your eyes like a, like a servant looks to the hand of the master? Lift your eyes, because only there are you going to find your assignment. Only there are you going to find your approval. Only there are you going to find the mercy you're looking for in a world full of contempt. God, lift our eyes. Lift our eyes. In the name of Jesus, amen.